Welcome to the latest episode of Naysayers hosted by Bridal CEO, Marie Marks. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Adam Rittenberg, who will be joining us to talk about his journey as an entrepreneur, his passion for equestrian sports and his successful career in show jumping. Get ready to learn from Adam's experiences and insights as he shares his story and the lessons he's learned along the way. So buckle up and join us for a thrilling ride on Naysayers. Hello, Adam. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of awkward at first, isn't it? How's everything going? It's going well, and you? Really cool. Thanks for joining me on this episode recorded straight from Barcelona. Yeah, isn't that great that we get to be in the same place at the same time and speak in person? Absolutely. So for this podcast, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about ambition. I want to talk about so many things. Um, I like the way you think. I like the way you speak and I like your ideas. So first, perhaps let's start about you, who you are, where you're from, how you ended up on this couch in Barcelona. So that's a good question. Um, my name is Adam Rittenberg, and I'm from originally Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I have a really great journey with horses because it started with my family. My grandmother had a stable. And growing up, when our house was being built, I lived above our stable, my grandmother's stable in Fort Lauderdale. And so I was always around horses. And it was a really great experience for someone young to grow up around horses because you had responsibilities. You would wake up in the morning, you went downstairs, you went to see your horses, and you had something to look forward to. And from that day on, I always knew that horses were going to be a part of my life. And I think that because of that, horses have never left my life. It's been something that I have been passionate about from the very beginning. And they have clearly brought me around the world from Canada to all over Europe, which landed me in this couch in Barcelona, <laughs> actually. Very cool, very cool. So, okay, we get the picture in the sense that you're an American rider based in Europe, but you're not only a rider. From the many conversations that we've had until now and the luck that I have developing this friendship with you, I can tell you you're an passionate entrepreneur as well. So what are you up to in business? So that's a great question. And I really appreciate that we have built this friendship and we can speak about uh, anything, anything, <laughs> right? And so the entrepreneurship journey is really interesting because being a rider, a lot of the times, these riders really focus on just riding. And I knew that in order to sustain my love and passion for horses, I was going to have to do something more yep. to sustain being a rider. And I knew that I didn't want to work for someone else necessarily. I did. I worked for many private stables. I had the luxury of working with some of the best stables in the world. Can you say who? Sure. Um, I was lucky enough to be a part of Ian Miller's stable, Jonathan Miller, uh, Kelly Miller, Amy Miller, the whole Miller family. And I owe them tremendous credit to my career and being an entrepreneur. Ian especially, being a wonderful mentor to me, uh, very similar to a father figure in many ways. Um, he really embraced me and sort of taught me the ropes of business. And I'll be forever grateful for that. Um, I, had, I had the privilege of um, being a part of Emil Hendricks stable at one point. Uh, I was there for, I believe, three months or so, and I just got to learn while I was there. Um, I was by Paul Schockemuller's stable, and that was an amazing experience, getting to be a part of such an amazing dealing stable, where there you really learn about not just riding, but management and breeding, and how a true, true business, horse business works. Um, <laughs> really. I would like to requalify this as horse empire because I have a horse business right. Right. and horse it is empire. not of the same caliber. Right, right. And he's really, I mean, Paul is an exceptional, exceptional businessman and exceptional horseman. It's, it's incredible. 
and everyone could take definitely a note out of his book because he he knows what he's doing. And uh, I was lucky enough also to be mentored by Valerio Sozzi. And um, that's and up until this day, he still helps me with my horses and my riding career. And all of these people played a really influential part in becoming an entrepreneur because they all offered me something different, right? One taught me about uh, business and fundamentals. Another one taught me about product and quality and sort of put it all together and I founded AJR Sport. And AJR Sport was developed because I believed that riders needed something more specifically from bits, right? There weren't custom bits available on the market for a more mainstream price point, you know? And I think that a lot of riders struggled with trying to find the right bit, but where do I buy it? And basically I stock these custom bits. They have them in stock, which makes the, the, the business model really successful. You completely design them. So th the reason why I bring this up is like, entrepreneurship is hard enough. Having an e-commerce platform is hard enough. Right. Sourcing your product and selling online is not the hardest. Designing it and producing it and doing the full cha-la-la-la-la that goes with it, that's hard, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me about briefly what your journeys looked like I want to know some fuck up moments too that happen in business. I have to. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I also want to know about some advice that you would give to passionate entrepreneurs, whether they question or not, but just people that are young, eager and ambitious to start and that want to take over the world. So I think that, you know, being an entrepreneur is, is really an interesting journey. You have to be persistent and very, very, very adamant about the end target. You know, manufacturing is a really difficult um, topic in general. It's really difficult to produce product, keep quality standard, uh, designing specifically. I mean, rule number one in any business, but especially horses, is do no harm. And my job is not only to design, but ensure that these bits or these other products do no harm because every rider has a different style, right? Every person interprets a bit strong or not strong. But what I explain to people most of the time is you can also make a rubber loose ring snaffle strong yeah. if you use it incorrectly. So it all has to do with a feeling that you have with a horse and the communication that you develop with the horse and that dictates how the bit works. So when I design, it's a really difficult job. It's similar to a course designer, right? How do I get the maximum benefit from the, the task that's put in front of me and create variety without creating harm? And that's a really difficult thing to do. So as a designer of product, Rule number one is do no harm. And I, I, I live by that with my business model. And I think that's why it is successful because I do no harm. Yeah. And, you know, also when you talk about sourcing product, that is a really challenging, challenging task because you have to be really sure about the quality of the material. More than craftsmanship, you need to know what is going in the horse's mouth specifically. You can't produce a product and assume that it's stainless steel and maybe it's not. You have to really know what it is. Is it solid copper or is there alloy? Is, is there a mix, right? I have to disclose that to my client because each material functions differently for the horse, right? And we have to be sure that those materials are doing what I intend for them to do, whether it's create salivation or uh, whatever it might be, just be softer in the horse's mouth. How, however I intend the bit to be uh, created is, that's how it turns. I have a question. Sure. You could have done many things in horses, right? Sure. Why bits? So that's a great question too, because <laughs> you have a lot of great questions. I know. Because I really was struggling with one horse and I, during COVID, and I thought, it's so strong on the left side of its mouth and so normal on the right side. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And Valerio Sozzi was kind enough to lend me 
a bit that he used on his horse, Pilot High Flight, and it's a half twist, half straight bar egg butt snaffle, okay? And I thought, how am I gonna have that made? The hell is that? Right, <laughs> just an egg butt snaffle and half is a twist and half is normal. And I thought, how am I gonna have that made, right? How am I gonna create this bit, right? I, I don't wanna, I don't even know where to start. So I began my, my journey of developing, sourcing, and I brought in samples. And I'm like, okay, well, these turned out really great, right? And I'm like, well, if I need this bit, so do other people. And so I slowly started to expand the line. I'm like, oh, well, I'm gonna make this bit. And then I started offering those bits and then people asked, can you make other bits? And then I had custom requests and I started making you know, custom bits for people. And then the, the line of bits just kept expanding. And now I have over 250 different models of bits because I've just modified, designed, recreated. But that is how the first bits were born is out of like most great ideas, right? They were, well, not stolen, but reinterpreted. I would say based on my entrepreneurship experience, whether it's with bridal, what I've done before, working in venture capital for a while, everything starts with a problem. Like you can't solve something for somebody right. if you haven't either seen the problem seen your friends face it seen someone you love affected by it or you faced it it's like why did i start selling horses in the most transparent way that i'm trying to get to right. and digitally it's because i've seen the bullshit that happens because my friends have said so because i face it right. you face the issue riding a horse so that's right. technically a very very strong base to entrepreneurship is find a problem to solve Absolutely. And a lot of the time, you know, people don't like being independent thinkers, right? And a lot of the times, especially in the horse world, you know, when, when my wonderful staff, for example, ask me, but why do you do it this way? Well, I do it this way because I've done it myself and I've done it myself so I can speak from experience and experience is power, but more than experience, knowledge is power. And if I know something, I can then teach it and education is also power, right? So a lot of the times people are far, far, far better talkers than they are listeners. And if you're a talker and not a listener, you're actually not learning yeah. and that's a problem. So, you know, yeah, to solve problems, you have to be a good listener. Absolutely. It's funny because we, so for anyone listening, we prepared like 30 questions. We haven't looked back at them. We just started this podcast and now it's going with the flow. Going back to what you just said, there's two very important points that you raised. One is be a better listener. That is something that I'm hitting myself with all the time with, hey, I'm leading a team. I'm 24 years old. I'm right. a CEO. Right. It's easy to speak and, and say this, do that, do this. And I learn so much more when I listen to people like, for example, uh, we just added my boyfriend, Joseph, to the team. He's right. not a horsey person, right. but he's an excellent, fantastic businessman. And he comes in with a complete outsider's perspective. And at the beginning, I was like, no, but this. And he was like, oh, what is a mare? I'm like, okay, this is right. how you understand horsey stuff. But I was thinking that you had to do it in a horse way. And coming in with a business standpoint, making mistakes and me listening to it has improved the company very, very much. Yes. And it's I a challenge you. that I'm facing because I love talking. It's hard to listen. It, it is, and, and you know, but there's one thing that I want to share with you and, and everybody listening. Education, application, repetition. Yeah. First, you have to be educated. Yep. Then you apply your education for 10,000 hours. Yep. And then you repeat it. Yep. And if you follow that process, you will be successful. You have to learn. You have to always be learning and absorbing. I learn every day when we have conversations off our podcast here. Your, or your podcast here. I, uh, <laughs> Taking over. Right. I, I learned from you. Yeah. And I hope that you, you have takeaways from me. Absolutely. But it's very important, you know, that especially we find a lot of the times in the horse world, I believe you can agree with me, that these students now, that, that when they're riding, they don't want to listen to the trainers. They think they are a trainer. Now, that's a problem. Yeah. Because... A trainer is a trainer, a blacksmith is a blacksmith, a vet is a vet, yeah. right? But everyone needs to stick to what they do. 
because that is their job. And your job as a student is to listen because you're not there. First of all, a lot of the times these, these amateurs or juniors or whatever you are, are, you know, their parents or somebody, whoever's supporting it, they are the client. Yeah. You are the student, right? There's a big distinction. The client is the person who pays the bills. You can be both. That is very true. But, I thought about it. Right. Way. So when the students say, oh, but I want to jump bigger. I, I'm paying. Well, you're paying, but you're the student. You're not the client. And, you know, if you just listen and you really, uh, you know, allow the people mentoring you to do their job, you'll take away much more. I had, you know, someone tell me one time a great example. They said, if I put a shock collar on you, a dog shock collar on you, and every time you made a mistake, I zapped you one time, how many times would you make the mistake? No more. And I said, I would, I would never do it again. And they said, well, that's the point, right? That's the point because you would listen. And I can't stress it enough. You know, also when my clients call me to consult, right? I offer consulting for, for bits and, and other things as well. They're listening, right? Because they really need to take away what I'm saying. And it's their loss if they don't, because you called me for my expertise mm -hmm. in what I do, mm -hmm. right? I am the best at what I do. And I know that, right? Which is why I have a business. So if you listen, right, you'll actually be able to get the key takeaways, and, and be able to come to your own conclusions and take a little bit from what I say, a little bit from what someone else says, right? And then you can actually make progress. I'm gonna challenge your thoughts here because I can never just agree. It's, it's impossible, right? So I think that you write and wrong at the same time. Why write, right? Because we absolutely need to hear what people have to share and get the most value as we can from people, especially when they're trusted, highly qualified trainers, mentors. Like this in my life doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to the right people. Absolutely, always. But you can also learn from the wrong people what not to do. Of course, of so. course. But in the given case, if I listen to the right people, that will most probably accelerate my growth and accelerate my, my, um, the speed at which I can achieve my goals 100%. However, and this is where rebellious sassy Marie Marx jumps in. I dropped out of university and I absolutely hated it. And to me, those mentors were not the mentors I wanted to live my life by. So the key takeaway here would be if you choose your mentors wisely and that you choose your trainers wisely, you definitely should listen as much as you can from what they have to say. But if I wasn't rebellious enough and an innovative thinker enough, I would have stuck to the ways in which the market currently operates and I would have never started either my company right. or I would have never gone to like stopped uni and start working for one of the biggest investors and startups in the world because I would have stuck to the rules and stuck to what my mentors had told right. me. Right. But even if I do the things that I think are the right things to do, five years down the line, I'll look at my parents and I'll be like, oh shit, actually this piece of advice that you told me among the hundreds of thousands of other pieces of advice that you gave me was actually right. right. So I think that it's very much, at least from my perspective, it's take as much as you can from people's Absolutely. experience and make it your own. Yeah. And, and you know, my training style with horses as well, and also business, you know, I created my own methods and I took away a lot of wonderful things also from all the people that employed me that were so so gracious enough to give me a riding job you know from young horses to to grand prix horses i had the the the, the experience to take away from every program what i liked so i agree with you mm. i'm not saying listen to everyone because if you listen to everyone you'll not you know you have to form your own <laughs> opinions course. you know it's it's look it's really interesting because if you look at a horse for example people do one or two things with a horse they're either training them or they're untraining them, right? And because this cute, innocent horse, when, he, when he's standing in a field, he knows no different, right, between what is right or what's wrong, to stop or to jump. He doesn't know, 
right? We, the two-legged human, either train the horses to do the right thing or we train them to do the wrong thing. It's the same in business. It applies to everything in life. And, you know, but the horse is a great example because you take an innocent creature that's not designed to do something that we ask them to do and we are to blame when it does not go right. It is not the horse to blame. We are to blame. If something... And in the saying that it's never the horse's fault, it's true. It is 100% our fault, anything that happens with these horses. And so that's, you know, that's why you have to really be sure you're always training a horse and not untraining. Because more often than not, we have people untraining horses. And that is why trainers well why they exist but also there are trainers that untrain horses right so you know that's again that goes back to take away from people and mentors all of the good things the things that you like that is great advice actually i i have to agree with you you have to do that you have to take i was right yeah you you absolutely you're (laughs) right i think you know you can't listen to everyone you have to form your own opinions if i listened (coughs) excuse me if i listened growing up to some of the mentors that I had that said, you're such a horrible rider, you'll never jump a Grand Prix. Well, then I would have never done it. I mean, I was such a horrible rider when I was a junior that actually the person helping me at the time wanted me to go get my eyes checked because they thought that there was something wrong with my eyes. Now, in fact, there was nothing wrong with my eyes. I just needed my 10,000 hours to learn, you know, and, and get better. But if I listened to that mentor, and I only listened to that opinion, I would have quit riding. But I was persistent, like water dripping on a stone. It's relentless. It never stops. And I arrived also then to jump one meter 60, which, you know, we never thought in a million years when I was a junior, I was going to be able to do This horrible rider will never do it. (laughs) And then I did, you know, and that was only because I was persistent. I've had wonderful, wonderful horses throughout my career that have made all of this possible. So actually, I owe all of my success, including my business success to them, because they have been my best teacher. And if you listen to your horse, right, goes back to listening. If you actually listen to your horse, they'll tell you a lot. You see, horses are really sensitive. They can feel, think about this, this big, big creature, right, can feel a tiny fly. If you don't think that they can feel your anxiety, they do. And they can feel everything. And if you really listen to your horse, you'll learn more than you'll learn from a person. Because when you do it right, the body language of the horse changes. It's not good enough anymore to just be a rider in this sport. It's not good enough anymore. You have to be also a horse trainer. You have to be able to train horses. You have to be able to understand how a horse thinks. You have to be a horseman. It's not good enough. You can't just be a rider anymore. And that is not my opinion. That's a fact. And that is a problem that I see with this industry is we have a lot of wonderful, wonderful riders who cannot train. And on the contrary, we have wonderful, wonderful trainers who cannot ride, which is fine. Right. And that goes back to everyone do their, their, you know, what they're good at. But now to be an excellent rider, you must also be an excellent horse trainer. You have to be an excellent horse trainer. You have to be an excellent speaker. You have to be an outstanding businessman. You have to know how to present yourself on social media. Like the ball game has completely changed. Quick thing. Okay. So we're going to do a little game here, Adam. I'm going to tell you short questions and you can answer them very briefly. So we're going to go back to back with a bunch of questions and you have to be able to answer them briefly. Favorite horse you've ridden in your entire career? Charlie P.S. Why is that? She has been an amazing horse for me throughout my career. I developed her from uh, her, well, I bought her when she was six. So six until now. And, you know, we went through the rings together and she's been really special. Jumped, you know, my first 160 classes with me. Actually jumped my first three and four star Grand Prix together. And she's just been an absolute rock for me. Solid horse. And um, very grateful that she's been a part of my career. Three most important competitions you've competed at and why? It can be both emotional and like a you know really important show 
I would say the Royal Winter Fair was a really special, amazing experience getting to jump the U25 finals and ending up in the top placings on a horse that really shouldn't have even gone in the first place. That was a really special moment for me. My parents were there. I really loved that. I would say uh, Young Riders when I did it in New York. That I mean, that even though it wasn't the best show I've ever had, a uh, little over my head at the time, but I, I made the team and I got to go and it's another goal I had and I accomplished my goal. And that's something else, by the way, that I want to mention. I said short answers. Well, but it's, <laughs> it, it, no, it's important because that's something else I want to mention because just because something doesn't go your way doesn't mean it wasn't a valuable experience. So it was a really special moment for me, but I did want to mention that. No, I, I mean, I'm kidding, of yeah. course. I'm, making, I'm not making the rules here, but quick, quick thing to add to this is that yeah, I was supposed to say quick things, right? I'm also adding to it. Failure is one of the best mentors. Sure. Like the way in which people learn from failures. Like we have this this bias around failure that, oh, if you fail, you're this, you know, unsuccessful person. The most successful person in the world, whether they are horse riders, business people, politicians, like whoever, if they're not corrupted, <laughs> because sorry I have to make my bad jokes but if they're really really successful they've often seen really bad times and really challenging moments and they just keep pushing so it's it's all about what you were talking about about perseverance anyways um theory place to live well the, so in the last here venue, we go in the last venue that was important we only did two Three, uh, I would say is also the Winter Equestrian Festival, getting to compete at, you know, at WEF, my whole junior and, and young amateur career before I turned professional. That was really a special venue. I mean, who doesn't love Wellington? Uh, well, there are some, but it is definitely uh, the horse paradise. And to be there around all those excellent riders, if you just stand by the warm-up ring alone, don't even watch the course. Just stand by the warm-up ring and watch how these top riders and top amateurs and top juniors train and get ready and prepare you will learn so much and that's a great venue for that absolutely um favorite food to eat i love asian food i mean sushi uh ramen <laughs> i really do we had ramen last night it's yeah, so good isn't it yeah. um spain or italy spain. no you kind of in between both <laughs> yes i live between milan at the moment and also barcelona so um, but for sure, Barcelona, I do, you know, I don't have my horses here, but I do really enjoy the connections I make here in this city. Um, definitely gives me uh, a mental reprieve from the horse world at the moment uh, in between running my companies and trying to ride. It's definitely my, my safe space um, where I can really take my time and recollect my thoughts and my ideas before I continue on with my, you know, um, usual routine, right? Cool stuff. Um, name me three goals that you have for the future. Well, I think that's a really complicated question because I have <laughs> so many and that was a bit unspecific. Three goals. <laughs> so I think that I would really like to see AJR Sport uh, grow into more than just a, a bit company in the future. I'd love to see it be a full line of tack. We will stay away from saddles, but in general, saddlery. Um, you know, the medical sort of line of product, which I do already, ice boots, whatever. Um, I've been, I'm releasing a new, hopefully releasing a new um, boot collection, horse boot collection with some new fabrics and technology. I'm working on that right now. So that's a good immediate goal that I'd like to see for the company. Uh, personally, I would like to see, you know, a little bit more progress uh, as far as connections and relationships, more meaningful connections and relationships inside and outside of the, the horse world. And I would say as far as riding, of course, everyone's dream is to continue to progress through the levels and arrive to the top of the sport, whatever that is for you. You know, for me, that's would you know, would be jumping of my first five star, five star Grand Prix, you know, that would be great. And um, whatever else comes along with that. Okay, now I have a question that is about your perspective upon what we do. Three things that you think are good about the work that we're trying to do for the industry as bridal and three pieces of advice that you have for us to do better in the future. I Even love, as people. Sure. I, I love bridal and the concept behind bridal. First of all, 
I think you've done an amazing job being a it's young... It's been hard. Yes, <laughs> you, I know the feeling. Uh, you, you're an amazing young entrepreneur. I mean, also being a woman with so much power, I have so much respect for you. Um, really, truly, from the bottom of my heart, that, that you do what you do when you push and you push and you get it done. So I love that about bridal. So it, that's, I would say, the, the perseverance aspect is great. But as a company, I also love the transparency. You take out a lot of um, question marks for the buyers. Yeah. I think that that's re- you add a lot of value to people that have maybe been taken a little bit advantage of in this industry. It can happen. Uh, but I really love that you streamline that process for people. So it's really, really um, streamlined and, and, and they know what you see is what you get and what you pay is what you pay. And I really love that about bridal. I think that's a really great um, structure, a structure for a company. I think, I think it's, it's about having the vision at least. Like right. we obviously can't bullshit the fact that, oh, it's going to be perfect and you're never going to have challenges because we have challenges selling right. those horses to people. Right. Right. But it's the same as you in any business. Of course. There's always going to be things and I think that did you actually say that to make me happy or you really think so? No, I, I truly believe that <laughs> what you do is, is, is remarkable because you're changing. And the third thing I love about it is that you're making change. That and is the hard part. It is. But everything worthwhile is hard. I think you said that to me the other day. The other day you said something like it's taking time. And yeah. I said everything that's worth chasing takes time. So, because one of my clients said it to me the other day. I sold a horse to someone and it took me 12 months. Right. That guy vetted horses every single month. And it's right. the kind of person that's trying to make, you know, find a really, really special horse. Right. And I sold a horse to them in December. And I said, oh, my God, it took us 12 months to find the right, perfect horse that didn't fail the vetting, that went right, right budget, whatever. And he said, the right, like the things that are worth all take time. And that's why I said it to you. I have a wonderful story for you. It's short, but I think you're going to love it. It's about time and it's really valuable. Uh, And then I'm going to tell you the three things that maybe we could work on or improve about, (laughs) about, about bridal or ourselves. But, you know, wonderful stories. This I sat down with a non horse person friend of mine. And this was about a year ago and I sat down and I was really stressed and we were having uh, maybe, I think we were having a coffee. doesn't matter. We were in Italy and he's Turkish and he sat down with me and he said, Adam, you're the poorest person I know. And I said, well, excuse me, you know, very offended. And I said, well, I'd love to know why, you know, how, how you want to look at my bank statements? You know, you know what I mean? All, all offended. And he's like, you're missing the point. And I said, I guess I am. So I said, please tell me why. How am I the poorest person you know? He said, you know what is the most expensive thing in the world? Time. And he said, time. And I said, you know what? Wow, that was so profound for me. He said, you have no time. You're always stressed. You're always working. He said, why do you do that to yourself? Why do you do that to yourself? Why do you not value the most expensive thing in the world at the highest, you know, ranking on your list of importance. And I said to him, you're so right. And from that day forward, I tell this story to everyone because it's really true. You know, when someone says your bits are expensive, which rarely happens, but they do. I mean, but you're paying also for my time, right? You're paying for my expertise, my consulting. People say, wow, you know, the price is a little high. I said, right. But my time has value just like yours. And, you know, when you work for a commission, you know, and bridal works for a commission, however, you know, you structure the company, you deserve that commission because it's your time. Yeah. It's your time. And time is very, very valuable. I deserve it to pay the therapist that allows me to deal with the amount of failed vet checks I've faced. Well, I think that, you know, um, you know peop- everyone's opinion on a vet check is very different and they they you know that's open for interpretation because yeah, but it's just funny i'm just coming back to yeah. here because like it's like from the outside like recently i've had people go to me like oh my god your business looks so good and it's growing and i'm like well it's growing it's right. looking good on social media right. because that's realistically the image we want people to have and right. it is good right but it's so much work so much work but the time thing that you share i think is valuable pretty valuable and it's interesting because if you look at my google calendar right now it's like 
pack, 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 like so much work. So it's, it's, I think it's about finding the balance between chasing your dreams and having enough time to self-development and growth, self-development, growth. but it's, there's so much more to this. It's like right now I have my company. I'm in a full-time relationship with someone that I adore and I want to please listen to this. I want you to put a ring on it. Um, so, <laughs> little, come on, come on, put a ring on it. I'll be there. I'll help you if you need it. <laughs> no, but seriously, like what I'm trying to get to is like, I'm a girlfriend, so I've right. got to dedicate time to this because if you don't, it doesn't work. I know that from experience, you know, <laughs> so that's been challenging. So I, I hear you on that front for sure. I'm an entrepreneur, so it's got to be this right. and still got to go to the gym. Got to, I don't ride horses. I haven't ride a horse in September. Why? Right. Because I don't take the time. And I think, you know, you need to value your time the same way that this wonderful Turkish friend of mine you know, because I told him, I'm like, you, you don't work. You hardly do anything. He's like, I do. But he said, I don't work. I don't live to work. I work to live. And he said that that's the difference between you and me, uh, you and I. And, and I said, okay, that, that's a good point. But I'm also American and I come from that mentality, the hustle mentality. So there is a, a mentality difference. But what he said is true. And I think you have to also use that as a takeaway. I think it's true. It's super true. And I've heard this before. And it's something that we say between French and Spanish people, that Spanish people work to live and French live to work, which is also very true. There's a huge difference in mentality. But like, I also can't pretend that I'm going to sit around and meditate and manifest, dear universe, bring me a billion dollars. Like, if I don't do the work, it's not going to work. If I don't fight forward, the industry is never going to change. So I think it's really about... You create your own luck. You create your your own own luck. luck. You You, you know, I I don't believe in bad luck, good luck. You create whatever happens and i i truly believe that and you know when you ask me three things i i I don't like about bridal i not that you don't like don't promote things you don't like things that you would like to see improved or whether in the company or in me well you you didn't you didn't really (laughs) let me finish but what i was trying to say is there's actually nothing that i don't like about it because i believe that the company itself let's go and and yeah and and you as a person are fantastic i think that from what I've seen, and especially from our relationship, that you know you're very good with people. Um, you're you're very you've got an amazing character that makes people just want to do business with you, uh, myself included. And I think that having all of those you know elements makes you a wonderful businesswoman, makes you an excellent CEO. You know, can we all improve things? Get in yeah. there. Well, <laughs> can we all improve things? Absolutely. About ourselves, about companies. Sure. I think you're on the right track. And my un, you know, uh, biased opinion on it, I just really, truly believe anyone that looks at what you're doing statistically, if you look at numbers, if you look at um, revenue and whatever else, you can say she is on the right track. Yeah. So the proof is on in the numbers. It's in the pudding. It's in, you know, what you've created for your clients. How have you seen the numbers? No, I, no, I'm, no I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming due to your growth, yeah. you know, your organic Great answer. growth, Great answer. that, that you would be increasing your sales. I mean, yeah. this is logical. We, so I, I have not looked at your numbers, but I would assume that your channel <laughs> is growing from our channel is about. growing. Um, we've sold for quite a bit of money, horses, right? Um, I mean, if, if all that money came to me, I'd already be away in the Bahamas somewhere. But um, I'm kidding. But I'm saying we definitely have grown a lot. And But, I, you know, there's so much that I constantly want to improve. Like if I speak about not negatives, but to be challenged sure. is one, be a good listener. Because right. I tend to cut people, right. which is a horrible habit. Two, um, be consistent. This is my word this year is consistency. Yeah. Do I have everything in my life that is laid out to be successful? Yes. But if I'm consistent, I'll be able to do so much more of this. It goes back to the 10,000 hours. 10,000 yeah. hours working on my business will make my business an empire. It you know? will. It will. And, and you do a wonderful job at you know, creating this, this space where people can come to you with confidence because you have this policy that people would really you know, kill to have as a part of their everyday business model with horses. I think that 
that is what the industry needs. What policy? The transparency one. Your transparency policy, <laughs> which a lot of horse people struggle with. But because when you said your policy, I was like, what policies are you gonna come up with? Well, it's 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 your your mantra. It's your yeah, motto. Yeah, it's your really. it's your whole business model. But it's interesting because it's like this thing is is. I've had this question challenged. Shout out to this person that made me cry a few times. You're going to recognize yourself. <laughs> this, this transparency aspect, it's very interesting because at the moment, the company is very transparent because I am an utterly honest and extremely transparent person myself. Right. And the way in which I see transparency happen in the future, mm-hmm. once you remove Marie Marks from the picture, mm-hmm. Bridal still has to run, right? right? right. So it is the use of modern technologies. Right. It is the development of an ecosystem with companies like um, Preview, Clip My Horse, and data providers that is right. going to allow this transparency. And we want to look at things like blockchain and NFTs and right. this and that. Right. And it is not necessarily a person that is going to be this 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 transparency it's provider. The company. It is the company, yeah. and I think that we need to act as. Bridal equals transparency. Well, yeah, well, right. it, up to a certain standpoint, like, can you be transparent on whether a horse is going to never buck or spook? Obviously not. No, no, but that's no. We're talking about living things. Numbers. I mean, we 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 can't. We you can't. No, no, but you you can't say um, this horse is going to live another ten years. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. It could literally be purchased, call it the next day, while it lands. And God forbid, but anything can happen, and that's why, you know, transparency. We're talking about the numbers, like you yeah. said. You know, we're talking about the purchasing. That's what I mean that's by exactly bridal what equals it is. transparency. And the reason why bridal equals transparency is the transaction. Right. It is nothing more than a transaction tool. Right. Of course, you, you add the right people, the right experts to find the horse, the vet, that is, the that. But it is a transaction piece yeah, that absolutely. is missing in the industry. And Anyways. We, we look at, you know, I look at something my father, my father is a brilliant businessman. I've been lucky enough that he, that he is my father, you know, and he's mentored me so wonderfully. Um, he always said to me, Adam, you will go so much further by just doing the right thing. Because in his business, in healthcare, there are a lot of people that take advantage of the system. And he told me, Adam, could I be way, way richer than I am? He said, absolutely. He said, but at the risk of going to prison. And you know, he, he said to me, it's always better to be honest, do the right thing, be consistent, than to try to make fast money, he said, because it never works. It never works. And the thing about fast money is like, okay, maybe you've invested in crypto or stocks and it multiplied like crazy. That's or maybe okay. it decreased by Or maybe crazy. it decreased by crazy. <laughs> no, but I'm looking at the positive. Maybe you can do like a crazy good investment or invest in a super good horse that no one knew was the new superstar. That is a fact. Right. But if I was here making a ton of money selling horses and like very, very fast in my first year after I launched, or if I'm launching whatever brand and there is tons, but I'm not speaking hundreds of thousands, I'm speaking millions and millions and millions, you can be sure that there is a piece of the business that I'm hiding and I'm playing sure. between the rules. Right, and, and, and actually I do wanna say that the thing is, is what you're saying is also possible by playing by the rules. Of course. When clients really have the confidence in you and you just do volume, but I know what you're saying. I, I agree, but like for example, no, but what I'm saying is that is the stage where we're at right now. Right. Year free. Well, we're about to start year free in February. We need to organize a bridal birthday party. Yeah, uh, we great. should. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Why not? Invite Ian Miller. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> getting. I think getting him to come will be a little bit difficult. Uh, Anyways, anyway. Um, we're about to enter year free, and now it is the case. But if it was the case in my first six months when I had never sold a horse in my life, it's technically not realistic. Right, and you know, I think that. The, the, everything is a process. Everything, you know, is a, is a journey. And, you know, you're on your journey. I'm on my journey. We're on entrepreneurship journeys. Um, you know, if, if you look at AJR Sport uh, right now, you would say, is it a successful company? Absolutely, it is. I mean, statistically, it is successful. I have wonderful customers who believe in my product. You, is bridal successful? Absolutely. You have clients who believe in what you do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I believe that we're both at sort of this point where they're young companies, but they're going to kind of grow to be empires of their own, whatever that interpretation yeah. might be. It might not be necessarily financially. It could be because of a reputation. Or value. And, right. And, you know, you, you have to look at 
what we do, we cater to a very niche market, okay? We cater to very specific clients, you know, and we have to really understand deeply what our consumer wants. We have to know the answer to all of our consumers' questions in order to do our job properly. When people ask me, why is AJR Sports successful? Anyone can make bits. Anybody can make bits. Yeah. It's successful because I'm the business, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I am AJR Sports. Someone else cannot do what I do. I am AJR Sport. You are bridal. Right, and I know you said bridal has to function even if it's if you take you out. Well, in the long but term, you are yeah. but you are bridal. People come to bridal for you. That's true. People come to AJR Sport for me, right? You know, I've had wonderful Olympic athletes call me and say, you know, can you help me with this horse? Do you know how satisfying that is to say someone values my opinion, right? And I would say that my success rate is around ninety five percent picking yeah. the right product for. For, 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 for every horse and rider. Now, am I perfect? No. Can I make mistakes and offer the wrong bit? Absolutely. Watching a WhatsApp video sometimes is difficult to know, you know, off two, three videos, how to help a client. But I do my best to deduct, you know, use deductive reasoning from horses I've ridden. And it's a bit of a natural feeling that I have for, for how to help a rider and a horse you know, and pick the right product. And it's kind of what you do with bridal. That's what I was going to say. You have a natural feeling for partnering riders with horses. <laughs> well, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, but that's so far, more often than not, it's working. So far, so far, with the rate of horses we've sold, every single horse we sold has gone good. I'm disappointed it ran out of Starbucks. Um, I mean, we, we haven't, we don't have a bad <laughs> reference. No, no, and, and, and I think that's that's really... That's what, it happens, but... You know, and, and I think that as we've <laughs> built this friendship, we've discussed that there's ups and downs, and you will not nail it 100% of the time. You will not. No. You know how many, you know, production fails I've had where bits have come, in the, and, like, and I'm like, what, like, what is this with panic attacks? I had bits come with four logos uh, on them and, and scratches, and I'm like... You know, and there's no refund policy when it goes wrong. It is what it is, right? And, you know, it's different than selling a horse for way more money where you're kind of like, oh my God, this has to work. But at the same time, what people have to understand when they buy a horse, there is an inherent risk with doing for it. Sure, I mean, sure. especially depending on the client, right? If you have an amateur learning to jump one meter 40, you know, you're probably going to use a horse and need a new one. It's natural. You're learning. Those horses can only take so much mentally, physically, emotionally. They're just horses. But that doesn't mean that it was a failed match. You did your job to match the rider with the horse that was good for them at that moment. Yeah. Moments change. Everything in life is temporary. Yeah. Or am I wrong? You, I, I you're mean, totally right. I would say, I would say that's, that's, you know... We've had very big successful matching people to riders, uh, matching people to riders, <laughs> matching horses to riders and matching people to opportunities as well. Like sometimes they might have bought a horse that was less easy, but, you know, high with, potential, with high potential sure. green that they could produce. It really depends on the structure of the deal and the operation itself. But I could never recommend people enough to have someone that they trust sure. in their journey. Sure. We can't be the trainer of the client, sure. but we also are here to make sure that the trainer doesn't take advantage of the clients in yeah. certain occasion, which is very tricky. That's why we work the way we work and we've never had any issues. Uh, right. You know, you, you know, and I, I think like when we speak about uh, for example, riding in people's careers as riders uh, and purchasing horses. Um, you know, I can speak from my own experiences that sometimes can it get a little dicey. It, it can. It absolutely can. But that doesn't take away from, look, this is the way I want to put it. If people pay, are willing yeah. to pay a premium for a horse and they don't necessarily know that they're paying that premium, that's on them. They paid the premium. Yeah. They chose. No one put a gun to their head and said, buy this horse for $1 million. They chose to buy that horse for $1 million. It could be 50000 I don't care. It can be 10000 yeah. We're just talking about a random number here. But what you have to understand is those people consciously chose to buy that horse for that Same. amount. Sure. So can you blame the trainers? No. 
I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not. No, going not blame. Can you can you take away from what the trainers did? No, because those trainers who did decide to make extra money, if the client is happy at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter because they put a smile on the client's face. Little Bobby's bouncing around the ring, having a great time. <laughs> Bobby. The parents are happy. Susie's clapping up and down because her kid just won a blue ribbon, and it just doesn't matter. <laughs> However. However, when you have an option like bridal, of course, it's a better way to go because, you, you know, buying through bridal. But, you know, you know, you know, we work with absolutely fantastic people, fantastic trainers. And realistically, there's not that many people that we've worked with that have caused challenges because right. the only way in which we work is, hey, you're the client. Who's your trainer? Would you like to involve your trainer in the conversation? We strongly advise that you do so because he's going to be help, able to help you out pick this horse. Yes. The way in which it works is that we make sure that the client pays the trainer himself and that those everything is contracted and that's it. But the trainers are very happy to have that because sure. it's on them. It's their responsibility to make sure that everything goes well for the clients. And if it doesn't, that's also a possibility. And as you say, a risk. But the structure in which we, we do it um, hasn't caused us any challenge. The only reason why I bring this up is is it's a transparency thing. It's a it's a person's ethic thing. And it is your responsibility. And that is going to be raising a lot of eyebrows. But it is your responsibility as a client to do your due diligence. It is. You it with. is. Actually, and that's what I said. No one held a gun to anyone's head to buy a horse. Either you uh, or I'd be hard pressed to find someone that that did happen to, you know, but... You know, you never know in this sport. Anything's Susie possible. and Bobby. Yeah. yeah, you know, you never know. So, but when we when we look at you know where the sport is going, um, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, to be very honest, I'm concerned for a lot of things here because number one, as far as business is concerned, buying and selling horses. Now we have a bunch of people that pretend like they're horse trainers trying to sell horses and that doesn't work. We have a lot of young people that think they're horse trainers and they're going to sell these, you know, clients, you know, these really expensive horses that don't actually suit or work for them because the, those people want to ride those horses themselves instead of for the client. So they're just going to buy another one for the client after. Um, I'm concerned. There are very few very, very good horse trainers left. There are very few. I can count them on my hands. I won't say names because that's my opinion, but there are very, very few and very few people in this industry that I would let even touch my own horses just because I believe that they don't really, these other people, they don't have the, they don't have the horse's best interest in mind. When I was growing up, we were always taught that the horses eat before we eat. From that age, and I promise you, my grandmother would never let us eat until those horses ate before us. And from a young age, I learned how important it is that the horse's value becomes before our own. We had a wonderful guy at the time. I remember him very well, even though he was young. He, he has passed. He's a wonderful man. And his name is Morgan. Okay, And Morgan was our private trainer. Um, for those horses. And he was a real cowboy. I mean, a real, real cowboy. But his respect, I can remember his voice like yesterday's big curly gray hair. And he would go in that stable and those horses with the ears forward, they couldn't be happier to see him, but they were disciplined. And, you know, he taught those horses to lie down for my grandmother to get on top of them and really interesting things. But he was a real horseman. And I look at that, and I mean, at the time I was five, four, five, six, and I remember it so clearly that the horses come first. But they were also happy to see Morgan every morning when he fed them, when he took care of them, you know, and you don't see that anymore today. You don't see that, you know, these amateurs or juniors a lot of the time and nothing, not taking anything away from, you know, these sort of riders, but they don't know how to get their own horses ready. They have no idea when the horse has a big leg. They have no idea. And that is a huge issue. When I walk in that stable, I know very well my horse's well-being. I know very well what the legs should look like. I look, I, I look at everything. I look at how, how, how is the manure in the morning? Is it dry? Is it not? I know everything about my horses or horses that I ride from the minute I walk in that stable to the minute I leave. I know exactly what is going on. And when I'm not there, I have a wonderful team in place who I've mentored to do it exactly how I do it. And 
We don't have that anymore in this industry and it's concerning. I was taught by wonderful trainers, as I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, who have taught me the importance of management and that is a lost art. Yeah. It's a lost art. These people have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea how to manage a horse and that is more important than riding. Forget training. I mean, and for, forget it all. You have to manage a horse. You have to be able to manage. And I advise every listener to spend time learning about the past to understand the present and then to understand the future. Because if you don't understand the past, you can't understand now. If you don't understand now, you can't understand what's going to happen later. So in order to stay ahead of the curve, in order to always be relevant, in order to always progress as a rider, as a horseman, you have to become educated about everything horses. If you're not willing to do that, stop riding now. Stop yeah. training, stop it all. Because you're a harm and a liability to the horses in this sport. That's my opinion. I think it's very, very correct. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of perspective here from a very, like, like a, a much more humble approach to, like, what happens in Wellington and that type of places. Like, we see a tremendous amount of wealth also around horses. Yeah. And there is a big, you know... Divide. B very big. <laughs> no, it's true. It, it is the right word yeah. to use. And, yes. like, for example, I grew up around racehorses. Right. Um, my dad is... Today he still trains and he does his thing and he's a grumpy 50-year-old, soon 60, but he, he is around horses and when he's around horses, he is the happiest man on earth because he is in harmony with what he does, right? And I think that there is a strong lack of harmony in the sport with certain people. A lot want to show off and impress when there is nobody else to impress with you know you don't impress with your gadgets and your tools and your this what really impresses is the ability to showcase outstanding communication with the horse right. yeah. um so anyways just going back to this uh, i started riding racehorses uh well racehorses yeah horses when i was really young because my granddad is a jockey and my dad is a trainer and it's from family and whatever and for so many years if i wanted to spend an hour on the saddle because my mom not couldn't necessarily afford to like pay me the very expensive boot camps in France. And I come from a very like middle class family. I was going on the weekend to muck out the stables in the morning, and they would allow That's me to ride how in the afternoon. Should be. That's how it should be. I had to work like that for a lot of opportunity. Also, you know, when I was part of Shockimula, I mean, I woke up like everyone else. Yeah. I made the boxes like everyone else. When I had jobs, you know, with these other stables, you know, private stables where I had 16, 17 horses with only one groom, I was up, you know, working like everyone else, making the boxes, wrapping the legs, putting the horses in the paddock, in the walker, bringing them in, washing them. So, yes, continue. I, but I, and I, I agree. Think, I think that the, what I'm trying to get to here is not to talk about divide at all is to talk about whether you're wealthy or not when you start at the very bottom of the you ladder you do it all don't you and you muck out stables and you see the horses in the morning that shake their heads whenever they get happy to see you with your food barrel and and you have to organize the muck keep and sweat and smell and stink and and understand the real value that comes in the hard work that all these carers and grooms put into you understand the value of all things whether it's you the do. horse whether it's the money that's involved in these you horses do. because a lot of people forget because it's so easy to go to a show and have grooms get your horses ready if you've never done it before Absolutely. now obviously can you have a groom that's also a job that is very very like respectable because it's a lot of effort the high I show tell you what i tell you what these show grooms and home grooms they are so discredited oh, and yeah. so unappreciated and they have no idea how well they know but other riders and owners don't realize without them we have nothing they are they are the foundation yeah. without these amazing passionate loving caring compassionate people we don't have a sport. We do not have a sport, and I cannot stress that enough. So everyone who's listening that maybe doesn't, no, but it's true, doesn't appreciate or think about the hours that these grooms put in, try to do it yourself. And that if you don't do it yourself, and, and reassess, because these people put their heart and soul into making sure that those horses are in their best possible condition. Sure, yeah. And I think we can both agree that the salary of a groom is that they're definitely not doing it for the money no. a lot of the times. They're doing it because they genuinely love 
horses and you have to treat people with respect. And, you know, one thing I do want to say is there's many, 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 many more important things than riding a horse, except when you're riding a horse. Think about that. So, you know, there's, you know, when people are on their phones, you know, screwing around on Instagram on their phone, taking a thousand pictures, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. You too. do that too. That's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm guilty. Of you it do too. that too. But there's a time and a place for it. Of but, course. but, you know, when they're, when they're screwing around, you know, posing, <laughs> you know, with their horse a thousand times. Oh, I do that big which, time. Which, but you do it, but with a purpose because you have a company. Not necessarily. Well, then well, you're a bad example. I'm a bad example. I was the girl that was willing to hang on. Listen to this. I'm sorry. I have to jump in with this anecdote. This is so selfish. When I was 16, 17. 15, 16, 17, until I left the UK, right? I had access to the stables. I had access to beautiful horses. I would message all these photographers and I'd be like, oh, you want to develop your portfolio? Go take just, I mean, right. horses. Couldn't pose for shit. I wasn't the best looking person that they could p- take pictures of, but I was getting pictures for free. And right. I would post them all over social media, <laughs> making up myself to be someone else than I was. Well, that's okay. We, I think we've all done that. But it's personal branding. We're running out of time. Maximum oh, shit. It's fine. Hang on. Okay, so we're restarting the recording and Adam okay. is already debating on really shading <laughs> everything. That no, is no, not no, happening. I'm uh, not changing, just slightly <laughs> modifying. No, modifying. Um, anyway, so we were speaking about how... We have max 10 minutes left. Uh, what were we speaking about? I can't remember. We were speaking about... <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Uh, well, we were just we were speaking about. about about the quality of of you know the ease and the satisfaction that right. grooms provide. To oh people. no, about pictures with 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 the horses. Oh yeah. So you know when, when when now when a rider is on the phone screwing around on Instagram, there's so many. Yeah, I get it. There's a lot of more important things than riding a horse, but maybe just focus on riding your horse and enjoying that moment with your horse and connecting and bonding so you have more success when you're in the ring, when you have more success, you know, as a whole, uh, to create a team. Also shows your grooms, your trainers, your vets, your blacksmiths, everyone that you're really interested in what you're doing. That's some, and a piece of advice that I would give because people notice that. Okay, to end this podcast, sure. I'm going to ask you a last question. Sure. Which might be left there or might be not, depending on what you tell me. Tell me about this idea that you have that you want to potentially explore with us and why that is interesting. I know you're unprepared and this is the best part. Well, I believe that we are in the, we are in the talks of creating some sort of dealing stable. Dealing opportunity, dealing program. I would rather rephrase it this way because we're not going to create a stable, realistically. Right, uh, uh, sort of a way that clients can join us to try horses in person where you can consign your horse you can send it to us for for selling uh showing to add mile uh, mileage um on the record just sort of give the horse a presentation package that's something that i think we're working on to do together um it's potentially potentially. just exploring the idea but i just think that it's so interesting that we should definitely add it here whether we do it or not that is right, the future to, be to define, yeah. but I just think that it's an unbelievable idea. And the reason yeah. why I want to talk about this briefly is why does this make, make sense to you? Why do you want to consider the opportunity? Well, when we first spoke about it and I presented the idea to you, I couldn't imagine to do it with someone more motivated, ambitious, caring and loving about horses yeah. and the clients. And to find that, and I think you saw something similar in myself, sure. you know, entrepreneurs, young, motivated, you know, I have results, I've worked with good people, I have a lot of assets, and you have a lot of assets. Don't make me the writer. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying, you have assets, and I have assets, yep. and together, we're a wonderful team. I love to ride, I have experience with a lot of different types of horses. Uh, I believe I have value added to something like this, especially for the clients, um, and the owners where they get a really personable experience because I am a businessman in the end, but also I have a passion and love for horses and we share that, which is so special. And I thought who else would be better to do this with except you? We look at our location. We're both in the same city in Barcelona. Yeah. That potentially would be where it would be based. Yeah. I believe we spoke about that. 
And I think it would be a really fun uh, way to engage the Spanish culture into horses as well. We don't see a lot of dealing, uh, dealing, buying, selling, whatever you want to call it in, uh, in, in Barcelona. You know, I am American and, you know, English. Stop, speaking. stop choosing the American stereotype. Well, that uh, is enough. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I am American and I, you know, and, and, you know, and I do speak Italian. So I'm, you know, multilingual. I believe you're also... Free, yeah, Multi, you know, multilingual. But I think I think it's an interesting opportunity to consider whether it's something that we do, whether it's something that we don't do. Right, we don't know. I just love our ability to connect and just share ideas. Yes. Um, like for me, for example, the way in which I live my life, I need to be flexible. I need to be able to travel the world 24-7 if I want to. Pivot or so, persevere. So like it would have to be something that is extremely flexible where we just put the right people in place. But sure. it's an interesting add to a digital experience that people Sure. like have in one of the businesses that I'm running. Right. So so I think that there's there's a lot to explore. Whether it's this or whether we'll just end up being great friends. It just friends. it doesn't matter. But you know, it's the thing is is where I think we're the right word for what you're trying to explain what we're doing is called a hybrid sort of business. Because hybrid meaning half online and half in person. So we can give a consolidated approach to buying and selling horses where we can advertise and use, you know, an online platform that then leads our clients to, you know, Barcelona or our show, wherever the horses might be, it doesn't really matter. And kind of give them that hybrid experience, which is super unique and interesting. It is original as well. One thing that I think is very interesting is, is the ability to build a bridge between the southern European market, which is Spain and the circuits that we see, and America. Sure, um, sure. That is very interesting because Wellington, Ocala, Barcelona, even if we were to develop something where there is horses, we don't necessarily manage them ourselves. Or we do, but we delegate well, the well, management. Well, we, we do because, you know, people have confidence in us. Of course, of course. So. But what I'm saying is like, not I'm not going to be the writer or whatever. Right, right, but what right. I'm saying is might be managing from a business standpoint and right. there is the right person in place to manage the other things. Correct. There is a certain interesting geographical triangular yeah. where there can be horses moving around. Of course. Which makes it very, very interesting. Right. Both in a lifestyle perspective, because hell yeah, I want to be between both right. places. Second of all, as a business physically being more with horses and free. Sure. Like this is gonna allow me also to scale my operations with bridal meeting Absolutely. more people, getting more clients. It's very Absolutely. I, I'm really excited about continuing to speak about the process. Again, whether we do it or not, I think we're uncertain, but you know, we're definitely we have a goal to at least come to that conclusion, to offer the best if we do do it, we we know our nature is to do it 150% correctly to give the client the absolute best experience. And I think you can agree with me that if that, if that is something that moves forward, it's going to either, we're going to do it the best or we're not going to do it. We're either going to do something like this or something else in the future, but it's just, it's just cool to see our ability to connect on, on an entrepreneurial level and a horsey level and a personal level and a personal level. All right. So I'm wrapping this up. Thank you very much for taking the time. I'm actually hungry now. I'm going to go get some food. There's a pizza place right behind your house. It's actually very good. So we, maybe you, pizza? we should go have a pizza. We should go have a pizza. Because I'm hungry as well. I'm hungry too. Thank and then I need to go me. to the office, get a coffee and get working. Because we've been yes. talking for the last Hour two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go to the gym. So You're going to go to We're the gonna, gym now? Yeah. No, after we have a pizza. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting episode of Naysayers. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Adam Rittenberg and learning about entrepreneurship, equestrian sports, and his career in show jumping. Remember, when it comes to buying and selling show jumping horses, you can always count on bridal. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best possible experience and helping you find your perfect equestrian partner. Until next time, keep reaching for the skies in the show jumping arena and remember, with Bridal by your side, the possibilities are endless.